Welcome to the Raining Chumps podcast. This is Kobe. This is John. This is Cole. And we are here with a very special episode today. John and I recently interviewed Shane Long uh, from Haven and Adapture. And we're really excited to share this with you guys. I think it was a really interesting conversation. Um, and we'll be curious to hear what the listeners think of it. But before the interview, we have a little announcement. And we're also going to discuss the uh, Spring Summer 22 women's valence capsule that just got released. We're really excited to announce the launch of our own website. You can now find us at rainchumps.com. So this will be the central source of news for all things chumps. We've consolidated our collection of reviews, updated our podcast visuals. In fact, you can follow along to this episode right now by navigating to the respective podcast page on the site. Lastly, we've also hosted our own webshop with a small collection of rare, coveted valence pieces. You can stay up to date with our latest site features by joining our mailing list at the bottom of the site. Yeah, we're really excited about the website and to share it. I think it's going to really help us keep the content flowing. So should we go right into women's valence? Oh man, it's there's a lot to unpack here. A lot of stuff going on. A lot of implications also for men's valence too. Right. Yeah, I think we should talk first about the logistics of what exactly went down and what was shown. Yeah, that the logistics are interesting. I'm curious to hear what you guys think of how the whole thing was uh, launched and like why now. For the listeners who weren't quite following it or maybe not on social media as much as us degenerates, uh, it, our Valence through the official channels like Arcteryx and Valence, they started uh, teasing this woman's capsule collection, which would be the spring summer 2022 or a part, a part of it. It's four items, um, a short, a blazer, a short sleeve shirt and a jacket slash poncho. We'll go into detail a little bit more later. Um, and said that they would be hosting these exclusive events that were to be held at Vancouver, New York, and, and three other stores across the globe. I think London, Hong Kong, I'm not sure the last one, probably Tokyo. Um, there were some exclusive access events uh, the night before. If you RSVP'd or you were directly emailed um, for Vancouver or New York, like little VIP kind of preview events. Um, where they had uh, employees who were like trained, they had little spec sheets and stuff on them, who would uh, read out, um, like tell you guys about the different pieces, walk you through them, um, gave you a little swag. Um, so that's pretty much when it went down. It was like a one-day event. You could actually buy the pieces in advance. Yeah. So I, I mean, something that interested me, me about this, just beyond the like pieces themselves and their implications, was just the fact that they did this in the first place, like they, they created this capsule and they marketed it and put it out like really early. Like this is next, next spring, summer. Um, we haven't seen any, any, I guess we saw a little bit of fall winter, but we don't really know much about that. Um, so what do you, what do you, what do you guys think they're trying to do with that? Yeah, no, it's kind of weird because you know, when they initially like, so from what I understand, it was originally like they would email you, if you're on the VIP list, but then they opened it up to the general public. 
So, like, that makes sense to me, right? So it's just like a VIP thing. Because, like, historically, Valens would hit you up in advance to buy, like, pieces well before they made it to the retail drop. But, like, two seasons in advance until the user went public was a little confusing. I personally think it's a little bit to drum up hype. Um, you saw on the Valence Instagram story, they were linking directly to uh, a lot of articles from different magazines, like IC and stuff like that. Um, so it seems like a little bit of a coordinated media push to try to build up a little bit of hype going into fall winter, rather it being something completely brand new. Um, that that was my thought. That it's just like a a little a little tease, right? And so the next question is, do you feel hyped? Maybe maybe cautiously. A lot of I know some people maybe use the words like underwhelmed. Um, I'm going to be completely honest, like going into store and looking at four pieces of a collection, not the entirety of a collection. And then um, I didn't end up buying anything. Um, maybe it left me feeling a little wanting more. Um, I, I think I'm excited for fall winter. Seeing those previews on Instagram, that had me more hyped. Um, this This is whatever to me honestly. Yeah. I feel the same way. I feel like with stuff like this, when you see something early or there's a preview, you always wonder if they're, what they're saving, <laughs> you know? And I think that's, that's, that's the question that it raised for me. But I, I feel similarly, I feel much more interested in, in what I saw in the fall winter pictures than, than what I saw in this capsule. Yeah, don't don't get me wrong. Like I, I still think there's a lot of potential, and I I did enjoy some of the pieces there. I didn't I didn't love all four, um, but I think Valence Women's is gonna do numbers. It's gonna be really cool, um, and I like the fact that they're willing to push the envelope a little bit. Yeah, it definitely feels different. It's you know I think at the most at the most superficial level, um, having the the tag on the back is like already kind of radically different from men's valence. Um, and I feel like, you know, the pieces themselves in some ways you can really see the lines of continuity between like spring, summer, 21 men's valence, some of the new styles. And in some ways it's, it's really a radically different thing. Like the, what comes to mind about that is the, the, um, the finite jacket, like, right. That, that being the poncho, um, C knit Gore-Tex, um, Handling it in person. One size fits all, right? Yeah. Yeah. One size fits all situation. So uh, maybe for some people who, depending on your body type, it may not be as flattering. Um, Obvious parallels maybe to the the ECG poncho of years past, um, where maybe not every fit is going to really sell it. Um, I think that's something that like the model shots will look really great in. The lookbook when it comes out it will look great in um maybe it's a little underwhelming on some people yeah i feel like this is like the first piece that valence has done which is more of like a showroom piece like something to get people looking at the brand or into the store but not necessarily intended to like make money yeah it really felt like it was there to to drum up hype um and from from what i've read online it's it seems like people are into it and it's working very interesting to to experience that piece in in person 
like I think because it's feels like the complete opposite of how I've seen valence up until now, which is being about precision and like fit and tailoring and functionality. I mean, it's uh, you know, it's a big, it's a big poncho. It's just a completely different thing. Yeah. Um, I can't, I can't say I would have, you know, made it, made my way downtown to go check out this event. If, if I knew in advance, it'd be literally the blazer LT, um, which is, I mean, it's, it's a fine, it's okay. It's an okay piece for men's. I'm sure it, it will sell for women's, but, uh, I can't say that gets me out of bed. Um, the Demlo short sleeve blouse, um, there was on the back, some interesting plating that you might not necessarily see from some of the fit picks that people have been posting. Um, I think there's a lot of potential there. Uh, I think we just need to see more fits with it. Um, yeah, so Blazer LT, just what, that's the most banal, like milk toast kind of thing. The Logan LT short, this one is probably the most polarizing piece aside from the finite jacket um, with this double button situation, a little bit of like a blouse, like a bigger short. Um, I would I would say like it, it almost compares to like almost any a lot of these European designers like a Jill Sander. Yeah, like when I saw it, they look exactly like um especially the the back pockets, they look exactly like the Jill Sander shorts from uh Spring Summer nineteen. Like it's I think like Valence Women's is like a really stark departure from men in the sense that there's like it's a lot more fashion oriented without just you know having to be like it's like Toby said, like this like precision tailoring. We could see the like the clear tropes between men's and women's valence. Like they're using a lot of the same materials, like the demo short sleeve. Of course, the language is the same as the men's, but also they're using that same uh, very low denier um, grid pattern uh, fabric that they used for spring summer twenty one men's demo pieces. Um, of course, the men's and women's blazer LT is virtually the same garment, as far as I'm cons- I'm, I'm aware, um, aside from that. The little like locker loop on the back, um, and I'm I'm sure the spring summer 2022 men's blazer LT will have that same locker loop. You think so? Oh, that, oh yeah, it, it's coming. Don't scare me. Don't don't scare me, man. Sure. I wonder yeah. if uh if they'll start introducing that branding for the fall winter 21 seasons that are coming up now. That's something to look out for. Um, could be interesting. I know not everybody is super stoked about having branding, um, but to be honest, having seen it in person, it's rather innocuous. It's just, it's a little tiny bit. Um, I think it's a little overstated. People are losing their minds a, a bit about it. Um, I would compare it almost to like, you know, those Margella, the four stitches. It's just, it's just a little bit at the back. Frankly, you could just take it off if you really cared. If you, if it really hurts your feelings that much, just, you can unstitch it. Yeah, seam ripper is your friend. I think I think like I don't have a problem with the locker loop, and I don't have a problem with Valence doing, uh, like we talked about before. I don't have a problem with them doing branding like in itself. I just wish that they had done it in a bit more of a creative way than that. Yeah, real creative. We need we need like a bogo or something, right? I need a, I need that hoodie with the, to the and a cotton hoodie, hundred percent bogo Valence across my chest. Um, that's the subtlety and tastefulness we need. 
I hope that's. I hope everyone listening knows that's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> it's as if they've already done that with the locker loop. So, just, just <laughs> yeah, take those it things the are ex- Those are hundred percent the exact same thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's all or nothing, baby, with the branding. And so, yeah, I think uh, we're cautiously optimistic. We'll see what happens with fall winter, um, twenty twenty one. I'm sure it's going to start coming out soon. We're going to get a little bit more leaks. Um, maybe the they'll put out more stuff on Instagram. Um, I'm excited. Um, I guess it's we should get into our interview with Shane Long. Hope you all enjoy it. Welcome, Shane. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Why don't we start off with you telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, just to reintroduce myself to everybody else. Uh, my name is Shane Long. Uh, I've been working at Haven for around a little over eight years now. So we've, I've been working on their product design um, for the Haven brand. And yeah, I recently actually started my own brand, Adapter. We're going to talk about Haven and Adapter on, on this episode, and we're really interested to hear about both of them. It seems like you've got a lot of interesting experience. Yeah, for sure. I've got lots of stories over my tenure at Haven, um, lots of experiences that I learned, and uh, yeah, for sure. I'd love to share it to, to everybody else who's listening. Why don't you tell us a little bit about just like how you got into clothing originally, just to give us some background. Yeah, so... Uh, Growing up as a kid, I kind of lived in uh, the ghetto Surrey. So, like, uh, I kind of grew up listening to a lot of just hip-hop, rap, streetwear stuff. I I played a lot of basketball, so it was a huge influence on me. So it actually kind of uh, transcended and grew over the years and naturally just kind of got into uh, Japanese streetwear somehow. Uh, I think my cousin gave me like a a Stussy shirt when I was like 10 or something like that and I just you know kind of got absorbed in the culture and uh yeah just it it became a huge part of my life and how did you go from being like interested in clothing into like you know getting into the industry itself for the industry wise uh I was actually more um into snowboarding at the time so I was really about uh, technical apparel, and this is right after high school. Uh, I was really fascinated with the technical jackets and Gore-Tex, so I really wanted to be in the realm of more uh, outdoor apparel, but I've always strived to try to look for something a little bit more unique, and uh, and this is where I came across this whole kind of technical apparel meets streetwear where Haven was actually just a perfect suit. You mentioned you were like into the outdoors. Like what were kind of the gateway brands that like you kind of started off with earlier outside of Stussy? Um, the gateway brands were probably um, like Arteryx, like very early. Uh, just always thought their construction was really insane. Like even I think like my grill jacket back in the day was like getting an alpha SV or something, but it overall like kind of transcended into general streetwear as well. Like I was into uh, Bape, of course, as a kid, uh, and 
just heavily influenced into all those Japanese brands and it just kind of collided. So were you like buying from Haven at the time or like on Yahoo Japan trying to like snatch like the steals or? No, I was, I was definitely, uh, I was on the forums a lot. I was on Super Future and Style Forums. So there were some t- sometimes when I actually worked at Sportcheck, I was able to get like crazy pro deals to buy like North Face and Arteric stuff. So I was able to get some, uh, get my hands on a lot of Gore-Tex early on. And I think after that, uh, I just kind of had to buy secondhand. Uh, can't afford full retail. Obviously looked at Haven almost every day, but wasn't able to pull <laughs> the trigger. Um, always hunting for sales, you know, like just like some 18, 19 year old things. It's <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, no, that sounds really similar to my, like, early experience. Like, I did a lot of, like, super future and style form hunting. And then, I like, you know, Haven was always, like, an aspirational store to shop at just because, like, the installations are, like, beautiful and they carry, like, all the cool brands. But you definitely have to, like, start from somewhere else. Mm-hmm, for sure. It's, like, there's no way you could pull a trigger on, like, a $1,000 jacket at 18 that easily back in the day working, like, part-time at like a retail shop <laughs> yeah i was like doing data entry at the time and i was like holding a pair of like visiting virgils and i'm like how many hours do i have to work to like pay these for these or just the tax on these <laughs> funny thing is actually my, my first first trip to tokyo actually with with a couple friends and uh i didn't have much money but we went to itzatan and there was like a conundrum that I had. I was either going to buy a pair of like visible mouse seats and blow my blow my load, or like I went to <laughs> Visu and uh, I was like, oh shit, should I buy a pair of visible mouse seats or a pair of visums? And I ended up pulling the trigger on the visums, and I was broke the whole trip. <laughs> that sounds like a great trip to me, man. Like you come home with an experience and something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it was definitely a huge intro to like seeing more of the uh i guess the harajuku era stuff and just yeah it just resonated with haven even more after yeah what what other brands um uh do you do you look at today for inspiration um right now i i've been looking at a lot more of um uh, more brands that have really cultural or uh cultural ident- identity or like a cool uh, backstory to it I think uh, I really like Aphex right now Aphex uh, they have a really mm. strong team behind them and one very memorable thing was uh, when we went to Paris a couple years ago they threw a crazy outdoor party and they had some really good DJs and I think a couple big record labels showcasing their talent it was it was so fun and it was such a memorable experience so I would say AFX is definitely doing something really cool for what they're like, just overall brand vibe, cultural things. Like they're doing a really good job. Yeah. I mean, can you say what more of what, like more of what you mean by that? Like the way that you kind of, what interests you about brands is the story. Like yeah, I think def- like for some story. people, they would probably say like the product or they would say just like, they just want the look or, you know, it's a, the story is interesting. Yeah, this, well, the story behind the, the guys, it's it's like you got Kiko, you got Steven Mann, and sorry, I forgot the other guys, but, you know, they're all well-experienced in the industry, and they've worked in 
worked there for so long and they've probably taken all their experiences and trying to make something as cool together as possible as like a friend or a collective, you know, and showcasing it to the world. And it resonates with music, with with culture, design, with the, like product design. So I think it, they're doing really cool things for sure. Wait, do you have the Apex hand sanitizer? <laughs> no, no, no. I actually don't have any Apex myself. It's just uh, seeing it come up and uh, even when we were introduced to it early on before they launched it's it was something pretty exciting yeah I remember I was like speaking to Ivan at Nomad like a couple of years ago when like Apex was first launching that was like the most excited I've seen him for like a new brand in a while just because I guess it marries like so many different worlds right like specifically if you're into like technical stuff just like the two founders encompass like acronym and valence which is really insane mm -hmm. it's it's really cool and they, they built in the whole apex sounds and their their whole brand and they've been throwing crazy parties and their mixes on uh on their soundcloud are like insane for sure what are you wearing these days honestly i just wear mostly haven brand like pretty much just product testing at all times. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing much more that I wear outside of that. Like other than that, other, other than uh, Valence, I would wear Valence, some non-native um, here and there, some Visma, but most majority just Haven brand. What are your like, uh, like go-to pieces? Um, I still wear the Mayan IS a lot just because it's a nice, com comfortable, all-around uh, jacket. Mm. For Haven brand, I've been testing out the fatigue pants a lot, and uh, the fatigue jacket, and the guide jacket. So the ja guide jacket has been my everyday. I've been wearing it legit every day. So um, those are somewhat of my go-to for, for like the most past couple months sure the Mayan is this like one of the older ones with like the ripsoft fabric no it was just the the one fall under 19 the alga color the green one oh mm -hmm. yeah. that's a good jacket I yeah that it's for comfy a while. yeah it's that's great a... <laughs> yeah the color. the color is really vibrant too for valence yeah mm -hmm. that, that was a really good season yeah, yeah that and, was a good one yeah and during the summer i usually just wear secant pants <laughs> <laughs> I think that's true yeah. for a lot of people who are just seeking pants and shorts, just like all like just rotating different colors, pretty much. I'm wearing the shorts right now, <laughs> in in the purple. I have in the ink. Mm -hmm. Nice. I have the clay pants on right now. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're so comfy. It's insane. Yeah, hard not to wear. Um, I think uh, all. The maybe one piece that all three of us have handled recently is the the guide jacket from Haven. Um, maybe we can talk about that a little bit. I think uh, John and I are both pretty into it. Mm -hmm. So this time we actually decided to use like a Polar Tech 100. We've been dealing with like a lot of Polar Tech over the years, but this 100 was honestly the most versatile. Uh, I think it's we picked it as a spring summer material, but I think it just works all year round. Like you could wear it underneath 
a shell and you can be warm for fall and you can just wear it on its own during like a somewhat of a windy spring day or something it's it's a it's a versatile jacket it's a versatile material yeah very it's got i mean i i think i've kind of forgotten about the like the 100 and like that series of fabric from polar tech because they've just developed so much fleece over the years but um it's so nice like the hand feel it's so soft it it doesn't shed that much um and yeah it's feels like the right right weight uh, to use in a lot of different scenarios yeah and it's really comfortable next to skin I, i'm pretty sure the first day i bought it i like passed out in it and like <laughs> wore it the next day like the whole day like legit 24 hours of wear it's insane yeah it's a powerful sedative yeah <laughs> I was really surprised because when I saw it was uh, 100 initially, I kind of like wrote it off thinking it's like, oh, this is going to be too thin for my use cases because I associate fleece with more of like a winter weight. But yeah, I think it like it really fills the gap of like a hoodie that you can wear as a jacket, depending on how you want to layer it and what you're wearing under it. Mm-hmm. And the fit is really conducive too. like it's a little slouchy and the sleeves have the thumb holes, which it makes it easy to put on under a jacket, but it also just gives it a nice kind of relaxed, uh, low key vibe. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you guys like it. It's like for sure. One of my, I'm wearing it right now. It's my favorite piece. Wait, what color did you get? I got the olive. Yeah, I did too. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's the good color. I remember having a debate with Kobe about this. It's like mm-hmm. whether uh, boa or olives the winner. Yeah. I think olives the best. Mm-hmm. All of its and it looks, it changes colors and like different lighting and all. Like it's it's a good fabric. It's cool. It's a really unique piece. Cool, cool. I think it's like when I speak to people like about like retail, like a question that that seems to like come up a lot is like you now like everyone like loves this industry, but like so few people like that like I know at least like work in it. I think it'd be cool to hear a bit about like you now how you kind of got into Haven, and, like your process of like what you did and how yeah how you got in. Yeah. Uh, so I guess after high school, I started just working retail uh, during university and college. So I worked at uh, Sport Check, and then I worked at iStar, an optical place, and then I worked at another optical place, and then it transcended into Haven. Uh, so it's like four, four years or five years of retail experience, and I just felt it. Uh, I, I just felt really... Uh, connected with retail because you can actually speak uh, speak speak to the customer and kind of just talk to them about like the product and getting them pretty interested in it but in a way where you're not like trying to like sell exactly to them you kind of want to just find what what works with them and just analyze the person and help them out and just like make them feel good afterwards and make them feel happy afterwards you know so I feel like for Haven, um, we 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 were definitely trying to do that as well, but more in kind of like a uh, a Japanese kind of way, where if you're um, if you're helping, you're not like directly pushing them or anything. You're just kind of waiting waiting for them to um, come to you or you acknowledge and just be as serviceable as possible and treat everyone the same 
I think that's like why I really love like shopping at Haven. Like I'll go in there and like browse a lot and like maybe on my fourth trip, I'll like finally cave and buy what I really want. But there's never really that pressure for, it's not like when you walk into like another, some of the like the bigger stores that carry like similar products where like there's like you feel that pressure to buy or you know, being judged. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that the whole judging aspect is definitely a little bit much, but it's, uh, I don't know. There's some satisfaction in just being able to, like, as as someone who's working retail, you should know your product, know know the brand, know your inventory, and you know be very knowledgeable in that sense. And you know when a customer does ask for information, you should got to be ready to to give them the the right information and just like figure out what they need and just have this mutual understanding of each other and just. You know, at the end of the day, you, you both want something good to come out of it. So, it's like the customer is happy, and then you're also happy that you basically let someone, like you, you guided someone to to something that that works for them. So you started the Haven, I guess, initially on the sales floor. Yeah, originally on the sales floor, gotcha. there was only um, there's only three of us in this tiny little store in Blood Alley. So. Uh, I think originally when I actually interviewed, uh, they wanted me to do full-time, but I wasn't available because I was working full-time at an optical place and I was doing full-time school. So wow. I, uh, I think after like six months or three months or something, uh, they got back to me and they asked if I were, if I was still available and we ended up, uh, hiring me as a part-time with another part-timer and having my friend Laurent as the full-timer. So it was just the three of us running this little shop for, for a couple of years. Wow. So did you come in without like product knowledge of like, you know, being able to explain to the customer what they're buying or was it like something you learned more on the job? Uh, I've, I learned it through just every day, just researching on brands and, uh, just being on Haven like every day before I was working there, so it's pretty easy to to um, to get to like get that knowledge. And if you, if you're looking for that knowledge, it's really easy to find or to like to find it. Uh, one thing that really expedited uh, the like learning process was uh, when I was working with Laurent. He's like this very very competitive French guy and we would have to like one up each other somehow with like knowledge so we always like show each other like oh check out this new brand check out this new brand oh no you haven't seen this before it's like oh what like it, it was just non-stop com like competition with this guy so we like learned so much about all these like obscure little shit brands to every aspect of any topic that we come up to we had to one-up each other so it's like we uh, we learned a lot through that <laughs> that's great so i'm guessing like most of this like research was like super feature and like the like the other forums relevant at the time forms blogs looking at just different ways to find things trying to be ahead of the curve always looking for new trends um i guess one thing that we had access to from haven is to see what's coming up for the next couple of seasons so we would always be checking that and finding new designers and yeah, it was just constant research. 
walk us through a bit, I guess, of like how you went from working on the sales floor to you know taking on more responsibilities at Haven. So what happened was actually when I got hired, I was actually working. Um, I was actually in school for product design, and uh, at that time it was supposed to be more technical apparel based, but. As the program continued, uh, they actually completely switched it up. They they switched to hard goods, soft goods, instead of even apparel based. So I was pretty choked about that. And uh, the owners actually at Haven they reached out to me and they're like, "Do you actually want to start a brand like our in-house brand?" So uh, I was like, "Yeah." Why not? Of course, <laughs> sure. <laughs> so I actually started doing some collaborations first. I think uh, there's the very first collaboration I did was the Russell Moccasin um, with Haven. Mm. So I, you know, at this time I didn't even really know how to use like Photoshop or Illustrator properly. So we just like mocked up whatever we thought was cool and like piece to piece materials together, and we created that product. So um, I guess after that being pretty successful, we just I, I kept doing collaborations, like mostly boots, like Trickers, um, Mark McNary's, uh, and then later on... Vibers? Yeah, the, yeah, the Vibers too. Yeah. And then, yeah, we were just like, you know what, fuck it, let's start a brand. So uh, one of the owners, Arthur, uh, me and him, we just started like going deep into figuring out what uh, what fabrics are good, where to source good fabrics, what manufacturers are good. We all just, we started from scratch. So how does that go? I think it's like when people are starting a brand, like the hardest part is, you know, finding people to manufacture for you and sourcing the materials. Like was it just through like people in the industry you guys already knew or was it just like Googling your way through this? Um. Arthur actually had this idea in his head a lot, uh, like a long time ago. He he already he already had a head start, so he sourced like a bunch of fabric. Uh, he he ordered it all from Japan, and like at that time, these fabrics were all very similar to uh, all the all the fabrics that are carried within the store and everything. And I guess the manufacturing part, we were just hitting up like local manufacturing spots and just asking what the process is. It's like, how do we start? Like we were actually that, like that new to it. So we had somewhat of a vision. A lot of it was kind of conceptualizing the the name, the brand image, uh, the core concept of what what the brand could be, before we even uh, went straight to like a straight to a, a manufacturer or anything. Yeah, let's talk about that. The name, like the first collection was Cypress, right? Mm-hmm. So originally it was actually the first, it was a Haven MFG. So that was the original name. And then we were trying to figure out what was the best way to, I don't know, separate it, I guess. And we, uh, we came up with a bunch of different names and Cypress was the one that kind of stuck with kind of this Canadian, uh, Canadian aspect to it but also it's a it's a really strong name like it kind of has like uh the way we did the branding was a little bit more technical like it it uh it just resonated with us but yeah 
yeah, going into Cyprus, uh, we decided to do to do Cyprus instead of Haven, and yeah, Cyprus Cyprus was a uh, it was it was more like an experiment. Like we kind of went in with the mentality of running it like a project. It was uh, something that people can see and see that we are very new and uh, still learning and hopefully our like the, the idea behind it is that they people can realize that we're using like the craziest fabrics and trying to do the best manufacturing we can with with whatever resources we have and it's tiered like next to our crazy brand list so and only continuing to get better. So that was kind of like the core idea of uh, Cypress. Pretty ambitious. <laughs> Super ambitious. <laughs> you said it was just the two of you guys at the time? At the time, yeah. It started as uh, wow. just Arthur and I. Wow. wow. And you were how many years into design school? Oh, I was two years, and I just dropped out after that. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was definitely a crazy experience, and... Uh, I think at that time, a lot of people during my class, I was, I was still still in class while I was working on the first first season, but they're, they were all like, oh, what the heck are you doing? Because I was just making like drawings in class or whatever. And, and uh, I've learned way more than I learned in the first couple of months than I did in two years. <laughs> like, how did you come up with the designs? Uh we were really new to the designs. We were trying to really come up with uh, what we were inspired by. So uh, at that time, we were really inspired by a lot of uh, technical brands, but but brands that do really like intricate uh, design details. So there was a lot of like design details from Shadow Project or non-native or uh just like these very or soloists like these these little design details that we we thought were really cool and made made piece like very special and unique and we tried to interpret it in our own way into our own fabrics using like the best fabrics too so that was kind of uh the way we approached it you talk a lot about these fabrics like what in your opinion like i guess like sets fabrics apart in like specifically the ones that like cypress uses um it was all sourced from japan at that time so i i, I think a lot of the uh the japanese fabrics weren't as saturated as it is now in the market uh it was a little bit harder to find you know you really had to find a, a sourcing person or a sourcing company to be able to walk you through or uh like take you take you pretty much in this whole uh shibuya tokyo route where all these fabric manufacturers will show all their product and you know not a lot of people will will do that trip like right off the bat especially for an upcoming brand so it's not very that it's not like that accessible at that time so the crazy thing with japanese fabrics is that it's just really well made they're dense fabrics that basically you can uh you could just wash a bunch and you wouldn't have any you wouldn't have any uh, issues with it like the the mills that they have in Japan they took all the best best machinery over the years um, and just really reinvented fabrics in that sense 
One of my friends has these goose down bomber i think from fall winter 16 and like mm-hmm. he goes camping with that and whatnot like there's scuffs here and there but like the thing still looks perfect mm-hmm. for sure uh the the cypress one right yeah 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 so that one uh we actually carried over that fabric like you know we we used it even for haven brand that grow grain fabric was used for uh fall winter 19 for some products so it's like uh these fabrics are known to work, you know, they're really good stuff. Do you guys follow a bit of, I guess, like a valence kind of approach? It's like once you find a fabric that works really well, like you guys just sort of stick into that and like, you know, building a vocabulary of like what you know works well. Uh, I think we originally wanted to do that and we did. Um, but I think as it continues on, we were looking for better and better materials that we can even use. So we kept going higher and higher in terms of what we can source because Japanese fabrics did get a little bit more saturated over the years. Uh, like I said, it's it's a lot more open to the rest of the world and a lot of brands are using it nowadays, but we're still trying to be a little bit more distinctive and try to find different ways to yeah, differentiate our brand from others. So we're trying to, we're, we're continually trying to source better and better. Yeah, it's been nice to see uh, like some of the new stuff that the new fabrics they're using, like um, shoulder dry skin and more uh, stotza to proof stuff. Mm-hmm. Those are fabrics we all like. We really wanted to use before, like uh, even in Cyprus, we we actually had like a Vental Anorak. We use Vental a lot for for some underwear pieces, but uh, you know, I guess some issues with Japan is just licensing. We weren't able to actually say. It was a ventile just because of um, ventile licensing. And, hmm. but, you know, uh, Scholar was definitely something we really wanted to work with even really early on. It's just we didn't know what was the best way to approach it and how, what the best way to use it would be. And the minimums are crazy. Like, <laughs> the minimums is always funny. I feel like it's always like once every few months i see some like reddit thread about like hey i want to make my own uh, dry skin pants where can i buy the fabrics and it just devolves into like a whole like moq conversation yeah moq is huge in manufacturing overall it's a it's it's i'm pretty sure it's a headache for most people but actually for shoulder i'm not sure if they still have this program but they have a they they had it on their website where you can actually buy scraps or like just leftover material in like small batches but they charged like i don't know 26 to 40 euros a meter or something and there's not like guaranteed that you can get the same fabric again uh but i think that was specifically for students and this is this is uh years ago so i'm not sure i haven't checked it out but it still might be available for whoever's interested in using it was that something you were doing as a student like just trying to buy shoulder and like putting together whatever interests you no, funny thing is, uh, there was a, there was another uh, coworker of mine who worked on Cyprus a little later on, and uh, we hired him on because he actually uh, did his graduate program with this uh, really crazy shoulder bonded wool uh, cargo pant with like like really cool stuff, and uh, so yeah, we actually hired him for Cyprus for like a season. But he he was a he was the guy who actually, like, sourced uh, sourced Scholar on his own. Yeah, I think earlier you mentioned that it's like 
fabric licensing ever to be a bit of an issue? Uh, for some bigger, some for for some bigger, um, bigger fabric mills or like if whatever's trademarked. So I guess Fantile is like very, such an old trademark, such an old fabric, old brand. So uh, for Japan, uh, not every technology could be uh, licensed outside of Japan. So I believe even Harris Tweed, if they used Harris Tweed, you're like if you're buying it out of Japan, you can't technically use the name Harris Tweed because uh, of licensing reasons. But I imagine like in order to like ma like when you were manufacturing Cypress, there weren't that many units. No, there wasn't a lot of units, but uh, we definitely, that's the crazy thing with Japan too. So if you buy stock item, you don't actually have to buy that much, uh, that much quantities. So you could pay a little bit of a surcharge for it, but it's not like a uh, hundred to a 200 meter MOQ. It's like you can order 10 meters, which is enough to do a small production run. So that was one thing that's really good with Japan as well. Was Cyprus like haven now where like parts of it made in Canada and some in Japan? Or was it like all just done in Japan at the time? Cyprus was actually all made here. Uh, there was only accessories like the beanies that were actually made in Japan. So we did all local manufacturing uh, for Cyprus. And was, was Haven all made in Japan? Mm, there was a season uh, when we transitioned to Haven brand. And uh, that was actually all made in Japan. So till a couple seasons uh we transitioned and we we're doing both and both like we we have some manufacturing in canada and some manufacturing in japan it seems like there's been more uh made in canada styles lately is that right oh for sure it's just a little bit easier to control in terms of making it locally um our our manufacturer is actually just up the block from us so it's like if there's any changes, we don't have to fly all the way over to Japan just to just to make a change. So it's it's just easier to for manufacturing and some of the fabrics that we order aren't from Japan. So even shipping that to Japan and then shipping it back and all that stuff is just not really the most sustainable way to go go about it. So uh, doing everything local is probably the best way to to approach it. And it seems like that's something that customers appreciate too. Yeah, glad to hear that. Yeah, I think, like, the whole, you know, made in Canada thing, like, provides, like, a really strong narrative to, like, certain customers. Like, I remember a couple of years ago, like, just talking to my one of my old managers who was, like, like into clothes at the time. And to him, like, made domestically was so important. Like, he wouldn't, like, buy clothes, even if they were great. Like, valence, he would only buy, like, the made in Canada pieces. Yeah, for sure. There, there's, there's something about made in Canada and made locally that is really great. Um, I think it's really important to obviously continue local manufacturing. Uh, that's a very, um, that's a huge point that I, I do want to. That's like a huge um, problem that I do want to find a way to like solve in the long run is uh, continuing local manufacturing. Uh, but to be honest, in offshores is insane. Like there's there's some stuff that you can only really do offshores, and I think a lot of uh, Valence, for example, definitely shows that it's uh, they they've built in a lot of stuff made in China. And when you actually compare the two, sometimes you could see a difference, but sometimes it's the opposite. Like you could you you could tell that that product is almost superior to the made in Canada. It's like they have the best manufacturing. They've been doing it for 
30 whatever plus years they've built they grew all these people to like super skilled workers and gathered all the best machinery so it's like sure there's a stigma to it but honestly some depending on where you are some made in china is the best in the world <laughs> like it shouldn't it shouldn't be that much of a stigma to it is it fair to say that when it comes to stuff that's more on the technical end and or even just outerwear uh like do you think that the, the best stuff is being produced in china or elsewhere? Uh, i would say china if you're going technical apparel the only other place that would probably do it better is actually yeah. just canada or Terex, just because they built all their machinery specifically to make their jackets you know like it's not like it's they're just running basic jukies like it's modified for their their specific manufacturing like tech like it's, it's all built for them you know like they're building machines for their products so if you're talking about made in canada a technical apparel of course arterix will be the best but uh in china like if you wanted to build i don't know anything else like that's probably the best place to go feels like that's important for the listeners to note yeah just to combat the stigma mm-hmm. Yeah, like a lot of times when I'm selling my old valence, I'll like I'll highlight that it's made in Canada, just because I feel like for a lot of people <laughs> perpetuating the stigma. Uh, I'm sorry, like I really need to sell these pants, but yeah, like definitely, like I think like specifically like for taping seams outside of Canada, I think like China and like maybe Vietnam are like your only options for like the best quality. I wouldn't say made in Canada. I'd say made by Arterix, <laughs> specifically. If that's the case. <laughs> yes. Not Canada. It's Arterix. It's like they could be that company could be anywhere in the world, and if they're that dedicated to build their build their factory the way that they built it here, it could be made anywhere and it'll be world class. Exactly. I, I think it's like people focus too much on like the geography of where their their stuff is made, not like who's making it. Mm-hmm. And I think that partially just comes from things being a, a little opaque about you know supply chains and and, you know where stuff exactly is made and what it's like you know Mm -hmm. um in the factories yeah it's it's definitely hard to gauge there's a i don't know even even when i I went to china and saw the different very various levels of factories it's like there's some that were you know what do you expect like not the best factories like stuff just everywhere messy disorganized or whatever and they're just churning out like hundreds and thousands of products as quick as they can whereas then you go to another place two hours away who is just completely specialized and the factory is world class like not kidding world class and they do the best manufacturing as you you can you can imagine you know and the people there are are younger well trained like they're they're like they're living good lives they're not like they're actually living solid lives to a point where they probably don't even have to like move outside of China. At this point, there's kind of a long history of, of you know, uh, like industrial production in China and it's the quality is quality improves over time. And as more money goes into mm. it and people get skilled. Yeah, it's just a, such a vast manufacturing market out there that they have, you know, the highs and the lows. It's it's very hard to like just say, oh, made in China bad, like is it the person i guess like it's up to it's up to the brand up to the person to kind of talk about it and you know be transparent about the supplier is that a good segue into a into a dapture yeah for sure uh i guess 
yeah, I, I actually launched my own brand adapter recently. So uh, this brand was actually, it came, came fruitful during the years I was working at Haven. It, it was definitely something that was in the back of my mind for a long time. Uh, a lot of the, uh, the key components of the brand was taking off for, through things I've experienced. Um, I would say a uh, couple, couple main things with Adapter is that like it's really focused on uh, fits. It's it's one thing that I've I've kind of came across during Haven is try to feel like figure out what what is the ideal fit or what works, what fits, what doesn't. How come this doesn't fit right? Whatever, but like. I guess the one main thing that I have issues with is there's not one perfect person or one person body shape. Like there's various different body shapes and, you know, different preferences, in, for example. And I want to actually create a product that is consistent throughout uh, the range in terms of material and construction details and, you know, maybe even like body lengths. But I wanted to be able to give a consumer as much options as possible to to define themselves you know like it's not just like something where we're telling you this is how it's supposed to fit it's like dude pick pick something that suits your style i mean i think that's hugely important i mean there are i think there are a lot of people that I mean, maybe almost everyone that's kind of the most important thing to them when choosing clothing is how it fits um and and I think, you know, there are just lots of problems that come up around trying to create a universal sizing system um, that, you know, a lot of people have issues with, um, you know, and it brings in, you know, other stuff like like cultural standards and all that. And I think it's really interesting that you've you're giving the giving the customer a lot of options. Mm -hmm. It's there's a it's it's a it's a crazy thing where I feel like a lot of the a lot of brands are kind of forcing their will upon and like they're kind of just like this is the ideal ideal whatever and like if you go to like a lot of e-commerce sites they're like six foot two six foot three 140 pounds like like what the hell who who is that you know like how's that your universal person like there's like <laughs> it's not how's that even a metric for a, reg a regular person you know yeah you really have to do some like uh mental gymnastics to try and <laughs> yeah, right. how this stuff would look on yeah. you. So actually I, I, I try to utilize uh Clo, Clo 3D, which is like uh, a 3D rendering program for specifically garments. Um, I took the production specs from my, um, from my shirts and I actually messed around with Clo and integrated it into my website. So one thing with Clo is that you can actually uh, build your own customer custom avatar, and you can actually see how the shirt actually fits on your body shape. So you have like seven or six different attributes that you can change, and try to get a very accurate visual of how the shirt will actually fit. That's all deployed on the website right now, right? Yeah, and it's only working on desktop, but it's still in beta, so it's not uh, like there's some glitches to it but other than that it's it's 
very very accurate that's really cool i feel like this is like the this is the the future of online <laughs> close. yeah 100 percent. it's it's the it's the future of e-commerce in general but the only issue is like how do like how does it actually work throughout cross-platform it's like uh you know, uh, one concern of mine is, let's say, if another company utilizes this technology and they try to implement it themselves, but they do one step wrong, whereas like the body lengths are all different or not the right actual size, the customer experience is like, you know, if they had one bad taste of uh, on one platform, they might not want to try it again on different platforms. You know, so that's that's one one thing I would be definitely a little cautious of going going forward. But I feel like a lot of big, big companies are trying to tackle this issue as well. So hopefully they'll figure something out soon. Do you want to just speak, I don't know, more generally about the mission of Adapture and how the fit plays into that? Yeah, so for Adapture, the general mission is to be able to create product that is adaptable for everyday life. Uh, it's actually product that you should be able to wear day to day that makes you feel comfortable. Um, and. And every aspect, like, so the different fits come across the slim, the standard, and the relaxed. And they all serve a purpose. Like, there's no perfect t-shirt. There's various of different t-shirts that you can be wearing and that is available to your wardrobe for different occasions. So uh, I took, you know, references from specific fits that I've liked over the years for t-shirts and tried to figure out, like, oh, I actually wear slim fit underneath, like, my sweater. You know, I don't actually uh, want too much excess bulk in underneath my, my hoodie or whatever. It's like I'd rather have a slim fit for that purpose or, you know, having a, a standard fit that you just like kind of wear on its own. And it it's not too long. It's not too boxy or it's just like your everyday fit. And uh, one thing I realized is the relaxed fit is like such a... It, 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 I don't want to say trending, but just all over everywhere. It's it, in Japan and LA or whatever. It it's it's a really comfortable product. So a lot of people want to be able to wear things oversized and style it differently. And like, for example, like you could wear an oversized T-shirt and wear slim jeans, and you kind of get this like undercover look. Or you, you know, you can really mess around with different silhouettes to define your taste. You were. Uh very nice to send John and I a shirt and I chose the relaxed because I'm all about being on trend and the fit is really nice. Um, I'm uh, yeah, like I think, I mean, I th I'm sure this is true for a lot of people, but I feel like, like maybe the garment that I'm like most sensitive to in terms of just like how it fits and feels is a t-shirt. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the, yeah, in terms of how the, the fabric feels and the fit and, washed and dried mm -hmm. it once but thus far in terms of how it holds up to to washing and drying it really hits the mark awesome oh, i'm really glad to hear that i think it's uh for the product itself I, I i've been working in the industry for so long it's it's really trying to figure out like especially if i'm making like one product right now uh like a t-shirt and long sleeve i have to dial it down in every aspect like it's got to be the construction's got to be good. The material is is like a moisture wicking, uh, anti rank, doesn't shrink that much, and it's uh, it's like a comfortable fabric. 
and there's longevity to it. So it's like everything has to be taken into consideration, especially with my eight year design experience. Like if, if it doesn't exceed my expectations, it's like, I don't know, why put a product out there, especially under my own name or my own brand. I think a little earlier you were talking to us about how you flew specifically to China to develop this fabric. I mm-hmm. think it's like, yeah, yeah. I think it'd be really interesting to hear about like, you know, like what kind of considerations went into like the design of this. Yeah. So uh, just a little backstory. I, I, although I worked eight years in design, I don't really know how to sew or anything. It's like, I know how to read patterns, but I don't have that technical skill to like start from, like from pen to paper to sewing it and whatever so this was my first time actually trying to do that so uh, when I actually started out making a t-shirt block I I did all the specs myself and I uh, I had help from tongue actually with the pattern so he helped me out a lot in, in this whole process and figured out a fabric that's close to what, what I was looking for. And I built a proto uh, with the help of tongue and uh, had a physical sample. I was like, well, like for the eight years that I've been working on in this industry, I haven't actually done this. So I actually brought the sample with me to, uh, to the factory that I was working with. And yeah, they, they showed me everything, you know, like, uh, they show me all the materials that they've done. They do all the production for Ralph Lauren. They showed me uh, how they had a dedicated quality control specifically just for that place, uh, just for just just for them. And uh, you know, it was it was a very interesting experience looking at offshore manufacturing. Whereas uh, for Haven, we done local in Japan. Whereas this is like large scale manufacturing. So it was a very new experience and it was definitely something I wanted to to experience. So I went factory hunting, like I went to, I had a family friend show me different factories that they recommended or they work with. And that's where I saw the scale of it, like from the low to the low to what I'm working with now. So it was very like eye-opening experience in that sense. Um, And even for the fab, for labels, uh, funny thing, funny story with the labels. Actually, it, it was uh, during the time of the Hong Kong protest, and uh, I actually wasn't sure if I was going to make it. Like it was in the heat of it, and uh, my manufacturer was like, "Oh yeah, I think they have the label quality there, but we don't recommend you going there because it's not safe. <laughs> like all the roads are blocked off." Oh wow. Um, so at that time, I actually had to uh, go there to to pick up uh, my my girlfriend's luggage as well. So I was like, "Ah, oh, shit! Like, should I just like just do it? Should I go there? Like, I booked a weekend there, uh, but I just uh, I was just waiting at the train station for like a solid hour and just getting messages from everyone saying it's like don't go go no don't go and just hearing it from like hong kong side to like china like the, my family and everyone they're just like it was crazy so i didn't know what to do and i was just like i you know what i'll just i'll just go like i'll just go for one day screw it so um i ended up going and it was right when i landed i guess or right when i got there i think everything just cleared up 
like people were just rolling rolling the walls cleaning up graffiti picking up stuff but it was peaceful like it was super peaceful and uh it was like like nothing happened but i saw the news before and it was just like a shit show but uh yeah i ended up going to my meeting meeting the uh the label manufacturer and uh yeah no it, it was like a really crazy experience wow well it turned out well i the labels are really nice mm, i'm glad really nice I'm glad you guys tell. like it like uh is it do you feel like it it sticks to you or is it soft enough like the label i i haven't noticed it at all honestly that's good to hear yeah my first impression when like i opened the tea was it's like you know sometimes like it's nice it's like a premium touch to have like a fabric label on a t-shirt but i often get like irritated by those and like mm-hmm. when i opened the adapter tee like the first thing i thought was like this reminds me a lot of a oamc t-shirt like they yep. on all their t-shirts do like just like a really nice like uh silicon print it's like mm-hmm. matte it's really unobtrusive and it's not cheap right like it doesn't seem like something that will peel right away so mm-hmm. that was great and then it's like it's nice that it's like the um the composition tag is also like printed on because mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of people like like cutting those off or whatnot. And yeah, it was just nice to see like, you know, they look and feel good, but they're kind of like out of the way as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of like the idea behind it. I took some references off like OMC from 10C and just tried to figure out even, uh, even the, the thickness of it. I was definitely testing out the thickness of, uh, of the label when I was in Hong Kong. It was just like trying to get those guys to make it as thin as possible and with my broken ass like broken ass chinese it was it was pretty pretty fun to do that what made you decide to i guess manufacture adapter in china as opposed to i guess like doing it domestically uh to be honest i i thought i was going to be able to do it cheaper and um they were the one the one thing too is like they're they're able to produced the fabric for me um and that was a huge thing like i was looking at sourcing fabric from our fabric from other places but it's the it just was wasn't like the exact feel that i wanted or like it was based off like a cool max jersey that i found that i sourced from before and i had to kind of like tweak it to be a little heavier you know like it was really thin i think nanamika uses those that cool max jersey but uh, it didn't have like as super soft touch as I, I initially wanted. So it was a lot of uh, tweaking and uh, talking back and forth with the fabric manufacturer to, to make sure like it's exactly to how I want it. And one thing that they, they were able to do that I don't think a lot of people would do is do all those different styles for me. Like a lot of brands wouldn't want to, or a lot of manufacturers wouldn't want to cut so many different patterns. So like I pretty much have like 21 different like different styles if that's the case and even in Canada I don't think a lot of places would do that split. Um I think we talked like a lot about like, this fabric and it's like yeah so it's like a cotton and polyester mix. Yeah, it's a cotton poly mix, but I made sure that they treated it with anti-shrink and anti-pill. So uh it's it's treated to be like a little bit softer and ha- um, one thing I, I requested it to is to have more um, moisture wicking properties to it. So it wicks really quick. Like uh, it's, it's, a, 
it's something I use for tennis, for sports. It's I encourage people to try it for for uh, ac like exercising and everything too, just because it does actually do its job. Like, it's a really uh, multi-purpose shirt. Yeah, that's cool. So, like to me, like if I didn't check the composition tag, I would just assume it's a hundred percent cotton. But you're saying like I can like exercise and sweat in this, and I'll wick and dry with the properties, I guess, of like a dry fit tee. Yeah, super quick. Um, I actually did a comparison. I did a test when I went hiking in Banff. Uh, I one day I was doing like a crazy whatever eight hour, six hour hike, and uh, I was wearing my adapter shirt, and you know didn't just felt comfortable. It felt like I, nothing bothered me. I didn't feel any irritations or anything about it. Like, and the next day I did another crazy hike, and uh, I wore a frame shirt. So, you know, like Marina Wool, the natural technical apparel or technical fabric, uh, I was just drenched, like just completely drenched. And I was just soaking in and not like not comfortable at all. I had to take it off and just kind of go shirtless underneath my sweater. Like, you know, I think having that uh, having that like extra moisture wicking property to it is like super crucial especially for every day. Like, yeah, I think when people think like performance shirts, they usually think of like, yeah, poly or wool, if you're more in the into the technical stuff. And it has its problems, especially like like that it can really stick to your body mm -hmm. and that, that can get really uncomfortable, yeah. can stink really yeah. easily. Um, like wool, like the frames, like you said, they're so absorbent which makes it take for like the amount of yeah the amount of moisture that the fibers can hold is just insane and it makes it take forever to dry mm -hmm. um and i think yeah there's a way that yeah i think uh a blend gets overlooked mm -hmm. or people would be quick to dismiss it as a performance fabric mm -hmm. um when it really actually offers a lot mm -hmm. I think another thing that w that's worth noting is that this this you know it has a little bit of structure which makes a difference you know it just giving the garment some shape which looks nice but it also you know keeps the fabric off your body a little mm -hmm. bit which helps a lot with temperature regulation exactly yeah so it's like the weight of it was probably the other thing i was really com uh, comparing it to for the fabric dye source the fabric dye source was like a like a 150 160 gsm and it just felt a little bit too light and sheer so uh i was trying to find something definitely a little bit with a uh, more s substantial volume to it because it's like, I don't know, you do want to be able to wear it year-round, and you don't want it to be too heavy where you can't you can't wear it. Um, you can't wear it in, in the summer. Like, it, the, the idea behind it was actually supposed to be for, um, for a more of a humid climate. Like, when we were in Tokyo, like, it, it's... Mm. T-shirts are everywhere, you know? Like, T-shirts in Tokyo are pretty much what people would only wear so uh that's kind of where i drew a lot of inspiration for the fabric from yeah that makes sense yeah yeah i think cotton's just like such a familiar fabric like a lot of times like my girlfriend hates it when i wear my frames because she's mm -hmm. like you're wearing like a, a dress or like a i don't even know what she calls it like a sweater but yeah i think like <laughs> cotton won't like no boys it's, it's an issue man and then 
merino is great and then but like the moment you start sweating you get like that wet sheep like smell which is like, i'm surprised <laughs> oh yeah there's that too kobe i'm really surprised you haven't mentioned that yet like i was waiting for you to talk about that i know yeah i, I think i forgot about it because i just disliked <laughs> it so much i try to forget about it yeah like i forgot like my like uh, my workout shirt once and like i did like a class in the frame and i was like kind of embarrassed on like how i smelled after like it was a CEO. it's just like i smell like a sheep and i don't know how to explain that to the people around me it's like yo that's not me it's just my t it's my really expensive t-shirt <laughs> yeah exactly like that's exactly how i feel when i wear that thing it's like oh it's, it's, it just smells terrible yeah and wool can get really staticky too which can get unpleasant have you guys thrown into a dryer <laughs> no try not to but that can yeah yeah everything well. just sticks to it <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i mean and it comes out like a baby <laughs> yeah shirt. but it does stretch back out like super quick <laughs> yeah yeah like i love merino but there's sometimes when i don't love it i think it's like having the option for both is is good yeah, no, there's definitely a there's definitely a place like cotton t-shirts are always going to be like the best or you know there's so many different varieties of cotton and I like you know every shirt has its own purpose like I'm not saying the adapter shirts are the perfect shirts for everything but every type of material and different shirts they have its own purpose to it you know like I personally probably wouldn't want to sleep in my adapter shirts it's more for going out whereas like I have this super beat up ring spun pima cotton shirt that i like to sleep in like you know like it's i feel like uh when take away from cotton so adapter is just t-shirts right now i guess like is the idea kind of like you know master the craft and then kind of like branch out into other stuff or you guys haven't really thought that far just yet uh no no i definitely want to expand product range uh the next thing is pants i think that's a very essential part of everyone's wardrobe um so cover to, cover the basics for now and expand to a legit a full full range of everyday clothing. The way I see approach approach it is like uh, approaching clothing like a framework. It's kind of like a structure. Um, you know, uh, I'm sure you guys are familiar with the whole parsec system back in Stoneline Shadow days, where you know they have the augment proof uh, resist. Uh, skin and it's it's just kind of like a system of how you should wear clothing it's it's not just like oh I'm just gonna throw pants on without underwear it's like there's a systematic way to do it so it's a uh, it's utilizing those uh, that that ideology of like layering and building clothes that are that suit those needs and but very accessible and not too overly designed yeah yeah we'll be very interested to see how the system builds now mm -hmm. the foundation it, it's not place. gonna like snap on and everything or whatever but it's just more you know just just treating treating clothing as a way of like a framework it's like you have to wear your basics you want you if you don't wear your under like people get so specific down to their underwear it's like they they wear only the underwear that they feel comfortable with and they stick to that one for like their whole lives almost like stick to unique low underwear like for your whole life or something and then you know then you get into you, you wear your pants and then you start wearing your t-shirts another basic and then you start doing mid layers and then you start wearing jackets and you know it's it's 
it's a it's a system but i think what you're saying about you know the it not being a snap-on i think i think that can be a great thing like i think when when (laughs) when the system is too almost like too uh tight which i think valence could arguably be an example of this it it makes it a lot harder to mix and match with other things and and like just makes the the styles impractical Mm -hmm. which which systems were you talking about well i think the issue with valence is just that you know it it, if you stay within the brand and Mm -hmm. the you know the you know the way that the brand fits works for you then it works pretty beautifully um Mm -hmm. But if you deviate from like from if you want to mix in other stuff that fits differently or you want to mix in pieces from other brands, it really doesn't work well. And you just lose that that kind of aspect of the design um, and you know, a lot of the value of the product. If you're wearing like a Vism Jumbo and then you put like an Airs over that, it's not going to fit or it's going to look super weird. Mm hmm. I feel like you could still mix it in with a lot of different tech tech stuff, though. It's like it's pretty easy to put like Valence under Acronym or or like Shadow Project or whatever. It seems it seems pretty easy to mix that stuff together, though. Yeah, like I always wear like a different brand sweater or like Acronym pants with like my Valence jackets. But I think it's like there's this there's a more limited vocabulary than if you go the other way of like trying to mix other stuff with acronym or like shadow project mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i i find that uh i find that valence is definitely easier to mix and match like you know you can kind of still wear some jackets with like denim or you know just with the myon is super versatile you could just wear it with anything uh compared to yeah let's say if you have an acronym jacket it's like if you wear like a crazy j47 or something or j1 with like denim you kind of look super out of place Mm-hmm. I love those photos of like a dude's like got my first acronym piece and it's like a J1 and he's wearing like denim jeans. I love yeah. those. <laughs> denim jeans yeah, and some so... like Oxford shoes. <laughs> he has some Sperry's or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I feel like Valence is, uh, they, have, they have a good thing going on in that sense. It's like, it's so minimal. It's easy to wear. And like, it, it like, I find it's easier to to mix it in with like other brands from even uh, what we carry at Haven. Yeah, I think you know aesthetically it's it's really versatile, you know, just because it's it's mm-hmm. it's minimalist. But when it comes to like, uh, I think the fit is where it can get problematic. And then there's the features like the split hem and kind of where the pockets are, like the cargo pockets are situated on the pants. That just it interfaces so well with other valence pieces, but doesn't you don't really get it's not doesn't feel as special when you're wearing it with other brands yeah no i feel you with that i think kobe's just really upset he can't wear valence with his p27s <laughs> yeah it's a little, a little forced no it, it works it works but it's mm. yeah it takes a little uh what's the word elbow grease <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, a little creativity, no, which is good. It's cool. Should we start wrapping up? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, thanks a lot for coming on, Shane. This has been really good. I think this has been really uh, informative, and it's really exciting to hear you talk about Haven and Adapture. 
yeah, no, I'm super happy to talk with you guys, and I'm really grateful to to have you guys have me on. Yeah, no, really appreciate this. So for our listeners, where can they find you and Adapter? Uh, you can find Adapter on my website, uh, uh, adapter.co, and uh, you can check out my Instagram at adapter.co, and even my personal Instagram if you want, uh, Shane Long. But uh, yeah, no, I think there's going to be a lot of very cool projects coming out. I know it's just uh, specifically t-shirts right now but and long sleeves, but I think uh, the projects that I have coming up would kind of separate it from like a specifically just basics friend i hope so yeah i look forward to uh, showing you guys what i have yeah we're really excited to see it really cool Mm -hmm. all right signing off okay have a good one thanks a lot for listening through the podcast before you go i just wanted to quickly plug our website rainingchumps.com and our instagram page at rainingchumps thanks again Bye.